Sicha Gimel, Parshas Ba'era, Chelek Tezvav. And we're learning this morning, Le'ilu Nishmas, Reb Sholem ben Elyo HaLevi. And in the Schuss of Horshleim of Reb Yosef Yitzchak ben Sima Chasya. And um, today is the first yard site of Reb Sholem ben Elyo HaLevi, who is the who was the dear father of one of our classmates. So I'm going to turn over the mic to her for a few minutes to speak about her father, um, Fagi Gollum in the UK. Hi, thank you, Rifki. Um, it's a hard day today, although, as I said to my kids, it's no different to any other day in the way I miss him or think about him, but... Today, obviously, we're dedicating our day to whatever we can, the Ilanishmas, my father. Um, I had a Torah and Tisha this morning. Here it's afternoon. So um, we had a Torah and Tisha this morning, which was, Baruch Hashem, a big success. And I got all my ladies to do lots and lots of mitzvahs and lots and lots of learning. Um, and around the world, all my children and family were all doing that. So it's very nice for you, Rifki, to say that we can dedicate the share um, um, my father was a chassid. He was a chassid of the Rebbe in every way. He was a very quiet, unassuming person with a very um, determined personality. And he was never without a sefer or he was known for, oh, Zayda's doing his Rambam. Oh, Zayda's doing his Chitas. Zayda's learning. Zayda's at Shia. And he's... He, was a, he really was a very special person. He was very particular about not speaking about people and not letting us speak about people. And if ever the conversation came around to, as one does, one talks, he would say, don't speak about people, Chuckily. And that is now a mantra in the family that people always say, you know, if someone's saying something, we always say, what would they just say? Don't speak about people, Chuckily. It's So if that's something people can take on for today, just... It's so tempting, but just hold back just for today, just for the sake of my father's neshama. That would be very, very special. I can speak about him for hours, which I'm not going to bore you, but um, I just, he, he loved it when I joined the Sikhashia. He lived with us for, well, he was sick just before COVID. And it was just before he came out of hospital, um, Purim. Just after Purim, he had pneumonia. So I said to my mother, Alaya Shalom, why don't you move into me for a little bit and I'll just help you taking care of him. So they moved into me and then there was COVID. So they stayed with me and they were both nifter in my house within, well, my mother was nifter, then nine months later, my father was nifter. So um, I enjoyed taking care of them and spending the last precious months we had together in my house and my father would always hear me log on to the shear and he sort of had half an ear out and if he walked past the room he'd stop by to see what was going on because he liked he just liked the sound of learning and he liked you know what was his shear about and I just think this is very special that we're learning in his course for his neshama and thank you very much thank you so much for those moving words um inspiring memories and um and what an inspiring role model you are in terms of your of your kibbutz of aim and uh, yeah, thank you, thank you so much for sharing. Um, and we're going to uh, presently begin to learn, but I do want to ask everyone to stay on for an extra minute after we finish the sicha for an important uh, announcement slash discussion about something we might do as a group. Um, but right now we're going to. Um, begin learning because I know there are people on a tight schedule like Feige, um who, who has to bounce to, I think, pick up children or, or Eneklach. So we're going to begin right away. Pasuk in our Parsha that talks about what Avram Avinu and Sarah, of course, uh, accomplished together with their desert oasis in um, and it says that he called there onto the name of Hashem, the master of the universe. Isa Gemara. The Gemara says, Al Tikri Vayikra. Don't read it Vayikra. And he called Ella Vayakri. He called, he, he caused others to call onto the name of Hashem. 
And the Rebbe Kochzech in this um, very, very often, the whole idea of if you know Aleph, teach Aleph, that we're supposed to, you know, each be inspiring the other to, to carry on and to, you know, uh, what do they call, pay it forward. So Al Tikri Vayikra Elavayakri. Don't read it that he called on Tashem. Read it that he he caused others to call in the name of Hashem. Melamed, we learn. Shehikri Avram Avinu Lushmoishal Kadesh Baruch Hu Bepekol Oiver Veshov. That he caused all the passersby in the desert to call on to the name of Hashem. It was through his agency. Ketzad, how did he do this? Laachas Shachlu Veshasu Vaamdu Levarchei. After the people who visited him ate and drank and they were sated and they stood up to thank him and bless him before they left, Amar lahem, he would say to them, do you think you ate of my goods? I'm sorry, Amar lahem, do you think you ate of, the, of food and drink that belonged to me? No. You ate of that which belongs to the God of the world. You should acknowledge and praise and bless the one who said, who spoke this world into existence. So that's what the Gemara says on the word Vayikra. And the Medrash adds, that those that did not want to thank God after they ate, well, uh, again, let's remember that uh, Avram Avinu was born into a world of polytheism. So it took a very long time for certain people to agree and to absorb his very radical idea of monotheism. And they, they didn't want to um, acknowledge and praise and bless Lamisha Amar Bahaya Elam, the one who spoke the world into existence. So in that case, Tava mehem Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu demanded of them, to pay an exorbitant price for that which they ate and drank. And in parentheses, the Rebbe explains, he explained to them, that he is justified in extracting this exorbitant fee because in the desert, it's not easy to come across food and drink. So you have to pay for the convenience of having it there. It's kind of like uh, paying $7 for a water bottle in the, in the, in the, uh, in the airport. What are you going to do? And then, and then when they heard that they had to pay such a high price, they acquiesced and they said, Blessed is the God of the world of whom, of whose goods we have eaten. So simply speaking, it seems that when they acknowledge God and, and it seems like they begrudgingly said, okay, blessed be the God of the universe. This was because they felt forced. They didn't have. They didn't really have a choice. They simply did not want to pay the exorbitant fee. But it's not because really in their heart they agreed, uh, you know, that they really wanted to bless God. And if so, tamua. It's it's kind of a wonder. We have a question. It's one thing if you're talking about people who actually agreed wholeheartedly because Avram influenced them and he was able to um, teach them that there is a God and, and, and they, they agreed, they understood this and they blessed of their own volition. So it's understandable that he actually affected a change, that he actually um, <clears throat> was successful in having them call on to the name of God. But when you're talking about those whom he forced to bless, what is really... The, the efficacy in their simply mouthing these words once in the presence of Avram Avinu, blessed be 
the God of the universe. And how can you seriously use this as a proof that Avram Avinu propagated the idea of one God? When it seems that these people were missing recognition of a creator of the universe. They, they were simply performing. They were, they were doing what he wanted them to do. They were doing what, the, what he was forcing them to do or what their pocketbooks were forcing them to do. But how can you say that this is an example of Hikri that he caused them to call on Israel. If you were talking about a Jew, then the Rebbe says that's different. So the Rebbe cites something that the Rebbe um, cited many, many times, the Psakdin of the Rambam. And this is a case of a recalcitrant husband, a husband who has to give a get to his wife, but refuses to divorce his wife in the way that a Jew has to. So the Rambam Paskin, even a Jew that has to be forced to do a mitzvah, or to distance himself from an Avera, his action is considered an action that is of his own volition, of his own free choice. Why? Because this Jew wants to be a Jew. He's a Jew. And therefore, inherently, he wants to do all the mitzvahs, and to distance himself from Averis. It's only that he's kind of taken hostage by the strength of his Yitzhahara. So when he is hit, when they beat him, until his Yitzhahara is weakened, and he says, okay, okay, I want to do it, I'm going to do it, he is considered to have given the divorce, the bill of divorce of his own free will. That is to say, inherently, essentially, in the innermost recesses of his heart, every Jew wants to keep all the mitzvahs. And his refusal to keep a mitzvah is an external, it's an external thing. It, it's, it's the facade. And therefore, so beating him affects the abnegation of this external resistance, which is only the machinations of the Yisahara. And then I want to, this simply exposes and reveals the true will of this Jew. But the Rebbe says, in contradistinction, here with Avram Avinu, we're talking about Kol Eber Vishov. We're talking about passers by, um, I guess we would call them Muslims today uh, or, or pagans. Um, so you can't apply this construct that the Rambam teaches. So our question is, what did Avram Avinu really accomplish? And how could the Gemara attribute his changing these people's minds and their lives and the landscape of the world when it would seem that he employed a tactic that simply forced them to, to, to mouth platitudes, which they really didn't believe in? Beis, vihine, beifetayar, in, in the Sefer Yifatayah, Kosov, it's written, that although it's true, they could have been lying, and it was only because they were forced that they said the words that he wanted them to say. But Avram, through this, accomplished his responsibility vis-a-vis -vis God. And if these people deceived him, it's their sin, it's not his. Okay, that's, that's what Yifatoya says. You, you think that they might have been lying? All right. <laughs> that's not Avram Avinu's problem. He did what he had to do. He, he needed to absolve himself of his responsibility vis-a-vis -vis God. 
And if they were not being sincere, that's on them. Of course, <laughs> the Rebbe doesn't embrace that for a nanosecond. And he says, we have to understand, if they deceived him, if they're lying to him, so, so of what efficacy is, is this whole charade? <laughs> Why go through these motions? Generally, Chabas says it's really hard to say that Avram Avinu did this just to check off, you know, check the list, just just to absolve himself of his responsibility. He just had to go through the motions of doing what he had to do, although he knew that they they were deceiving him. It's, it's really hard to embrace this thesis. And the Rebbe says, medrash, because in another medrash, Isa, it's written, the, the medrash teaches that in the merit of, of this, that every passerby said, blessed be the God of the world, that we be eaten of his goods. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem said, I consider it Hashem said to Avram Avinu, I consider it as if you are my partner in the creation of the universe. And then further, and the Ebishter also said, I was not known unto my creations. I was not recognized by my creations. Vihikarta, and you are the one who made Hikarta Oisi Bivriyose. You are the one that introduced me to my creations. You made them recognize me. And from this is understood that through what Avram Avinu did, he effectuated a recognition on the part of these people for the creator of the universe. And therefore, the Abishter reckoned him as a partner in the creation of the universe. And we don't find that the Medu should, should differentiate, should, dis, should distinguish between those who accepted this sincerely and truly, and those who felt forced and therefore said, we don't find that there should be a distinction, which means that Avraham Avinu accomplished something very significant. And we have to understand what it is if seemingly these people were forced. Gimel. The Yuvan, and we'll understand this, Bahaktim by prefacing, uh, by looking at an additional um, understanding of what is accomplished and what is revealed in terms of the true and essential will through hitting or through weakening the Yitzhahara in that earlier paradigm that the Rebbe brought down from the Rambam where you take the recalcitrant husband and you beat him until he says yes. And in that case of the recalcitrant husband, it seems that his innermost desire is not revealed. His saying, yes, I want to give her the get, is not revealed only through force. And yet, and yet at the same time, this is considered his essential will. And that hitting and forcing and inter in the process of forcing him and forcing the revelation of his innermost desire, what happens is that even the more external layers are deeply impacted and change. The Rebbe says, let's take an example. We find an example of the Torah with the scouts that Moshe Rabbeinu sent to 
reconnaissance, to, to do reconnaissance for Eretz Yisrael before Bnei Yisrael went in. Shebetchila, initially, Amru ki chazoku that people of that region are stronger than us. But the Gemara says, al tikru mimenu, don't read the word mimenu, that the inhabitants of the land of Canaan are stronger than us, but read it mimenoi chas They said, those inhabitants are stronger than God, God forbid. Meaning, they spoke in a terribly heretical fashion. The Yifku Am, the so the nation reacted by crying and they said, let's find a new leader and we'll go back to Mitzrayim. But then Moshe spoke to them, means a way of rebuking with strong words. Azai then Then the nation mourned. They terribly mourned their their wrong decision. and they said, "Hinenu, we're ready." We're ready. Let's go. We'll go right up to what Hashem wanted. So they were completely changed by what Moshe did in speaking them harsh words. And in like fashion, we'll understand the famous Mishnah that teaches that every single day there's a baskel, there's a voice from heaven that goes out from Har Sinai, and announces, and says, Woe is to the creations who scoff at the Torah, because every person, every Jew that is not engaged with Torah, Nikra Nazuf, is rebuked, is censured. Every single day, the Baskal goes, goes out. It would seem strange. It's a wonder. Isn't the whole intention of the Baskal to effectuate an arousal on the part of the Jews that they should become engaged with the Torah? And if so, if it's all about inspiration, you would think that the content of the announcement would focus on how precious and dear is the study of Torah and what can be gained through it. But instead, what do we find? The content of the announcement of the, of the declaration underscores how terrible it is when you don't engage with learning Torah. Woe is to those who scoff at the Torah. Is this, uh, is this a very good tactic? Is this an effective way to inspire? And especially, and especially when you look at the Mishnah, and it refers to the demographic of Bnei Yisrael that this Baskol is targeted towards as Briyos, and like the Altachat explained on this word Briyos, I knew that this means, that these people who are called Briyos are seem to be at a distance from the Torah of Hashem and from serving Hashem. And therefore, for precisely this reason, they are referred to simply as the creations of God. Why? Because these people present in such a way that the only a uh, good thing to say about them is that they were created by God. They're God's creations, and God doesn't create junk. And, and this is what the intention of this baskal is, to, to get them in, 
to get them engaged. And it would seem, you would think that this would be a very ill-conceived campaign to get this precise demographic engaged. All you say to them is, woe unto you. You guys are losers. And you don't explain how dear and how valuable is the study of Torah. Babir Bazes, the Rabbis' explanation is Ma'acha Shalachol Ish Yisrael Yesh Nefer Shalakis, Sherit Sainu Lakayim Kalamitzvas. Once we understand the default is that every Jew has a Nefer Shalakis, and the essential and inherent desire of the Nefer Shalakis is to be Mekayim all the Mitzvahs, and more, more than that. And within a Jew are found, is found, very, very precious treasures. Shehem Amunas Hashem, Ba'avas Hashem, the belief in Hashem, the love of Hashem, which is Shayrish Kol Ramach Mitzvah which is the root of all the 248 positive commandments. In other words, deeply lodged in every Jew is this treasure chest. And therefore, he doesn't need explanations. He doesn't need the whole spiel to be sold on the greatness of Torah. All you have to do is arouse his innermost core and bring it to revelation. And then naturally he'll get engaged with the Torah. Therefore, if this Jew that we're talking about would not be in this situation or this category or this level called Briais, where the only positive thing you could say about them is that they were created by God. Then perhaps you would be able to, in fact, reveal the treasures that lie beneath the surface of this Jew just by shining some light. All you'd have to do is gently say, you know, you really would love to come to this class. But because you're talking about a Jew who has sunk to the level where the only discernible advantage or um, the only discernible myla, somebody help me, I'm, I'm not finding the word right now, um, but the characteristic is that they were created by God. Because of his absolute um, being lodged in, in material, corporeal matter, his coarseness, at least the way he manifests on the outside, he's in such a terrible situation that the inherent and natural light of his soul cannot radiate. And therefore, so you have to tear away, you have to actually break the shell of materiality that is covering and maybe even <clears throat> choking the light of the soul. And the way that this is done, the way that you tear away at this cover of material corporeal coarseness is through this announcement, this declaration, which is shameful. Woe unto you. Because anybody who's not engaged in study of Torah is called one who is censured. Dalit, Amnam, however, this modality of breaking 
the external shell through the announcement of the Baskal, Noyed Lesuk Hayehudim, Hamisugolim Lishmaya This can work, this can be efficacious for this type of Jew who is apt to absorb, to hear and to absorb this point. That their very lowly situation, spiritual state, flows from the fact that they are causing an embarrassment, they're scoffing at the Torah. At the Torah, I knew this means. You're talking about Jews who, even in this lowly spiritual state, when their their material coarseness obfuscates the light of their soul, but still. But they can still feel, and it's relevant to their heart, spiritual matters, that, that, that are relevant to the soul. In other words, they can still hear the message, or they can acknowledge the diagnosis. And therefore, so therefore, we find that this this um, embarrassing them, this breaking their material coarseness, it's not really essentially breaking but it really is a form of arousing their innermost core and bringing it from a state of hiddenness to a state of revelation. But the Rebbe says, but there is, however, an additional construct where this person is Yorud Af Yoiser. This person is even in a more lowly state. And this is Shalmisha Nimsa Bishval Koigodal. This is a person who is found in such a lowly state. Spiritual things don't seem to be relevant. They don't arouse him. They don't make a dent. Because of the extreme material coarseness, the innermost aspect of his soul is completely obscured. He's not even a Kaili to hear the message that he's in a lowly state. Oklape Yehudi Kazeh, and vis-a-vis this kind of Jew, because he is unable, he is simply unable to recognize and to feel the lowliness of his state, to understand the truth of his situation. Then there has to be a rebuke that is about breaking him. Laharim alof. Okay, brace yourself. This is going to sound very, very difficult to our ear, very jarring. It's, it's anomalous in the Rebbe's teachings. Laharim love to scream at him and to say, Atara Rasha you're bad, you're evil, you're disgusting. Ki al because only through breaking him in this way, Nifelis by Shvira Bechol Mahusai. Can you break him essentially? And only after being broken down can this person become a conduit, a clea, a vessel for holiness. Hey, the Rebbe says, yes, 
this I said it was anomalous and it's it's very very different and and does not appear with great frequency at all in the Rebistera. But um, maybe we could call this an instance of tough love. That in general, you know, it, it's all about love, untrammeled love and acceptance and, and, and all with the Asetev and Yemin Mikareves. And it's, it's all about shining the light. But the Rebbe is, is bringing to our attention that sometimes you're dealing with a situation where, where that, that can't work. It can't work because this person needs a different approach because they have a, um, there, there's this new expression in psychology now, a heart wall, where there's like a wall that's been put up so they can't feel. This, there's this spiritual blockage, this impediment, and it has to be broken down. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I don't want to start a riot and also we're in the middle of the sikha, but like we live in a time where we've gone so to the extreme that maybe, maybe we need to hear these words to kind of bring it back to the center. And um, in general, there's a lot of talk today about the um, the coddling of the American youth. I think I think that's a, a title of, of, of a book um, where you know everybody has to get a prize at the science fair and everybody has to be told that they're great and brilliant and everybody has to get an A plus. And there was actually just a professor that was let go um, because kids I think at NYU were complaining that he was grading them too harshly, uh, giving them I think an A minus when they they should get an A like so. There is a place for for Shvira, for for what um, Hasidus famously calls bitush, and and the Rebbe is going to use that term. So the Rebbe brings down here an example, um, another example in the Gemara. One time, Rebbe Lazar Bar Shimon is damenle Adam Echad. He met a guy. He met a person. Shahaya mechor biyaser. Very ugly person. Omar Loi, he said to him, Reka, you empty, worthless person. Kama mechor ish, how ugly you are. Omar Loi, so the man retorted to him, Lech ve'emor lu'uman sh'asan. Go tell the, go tell the craftsperson that, that, that created me. Kama mechor klizesh ha'sisa. How ugly is this vessel that you fashioned? He gave him back. Good. There's a question. And to use the terminology that would be used, like in such a, such a case in the Gemara, what was he thinking to begin with? What was he thinking to talk like this to somebody? Didn't this holy Rebbe Lazar Shimon know before this guy answered him that the body of each person in the way that it presents, exactly the way it presents, was created by Hashem? And and we also have to understand. How is it possible that Atana should speak this way? He should call somebody empty and worthless and ugly. Vahabir was a, an explanation in this is by calling this person worthless, empty, and, and saying how ugly he was. His gabin Rebbe Lazar be'ikar. The main thing Rebbe Lazar wanted to accomplish, and the main thing he was addressing was reikonos v'chior lamitasam. True emptiness and ugliness move on haruchani in the spiritual sense. Hainu meaning shehirgish bekach that Rebbe Lazar intuited or he felt or he assessed 
שאדם זה יורוד ביוסר בתיורי הרוחני. That this person was in a very lowly spiritual state. And he could not find any redeeming factors, spiritual redeeming factors. The yes, sir, al and more than this. And even the default level of being called a Bria, that the only mitigating positive factor of this person is that they were created by God and God doesn't create junk was also missing from this person. So Rabbi Elazar found or assessed that in this spiritual state, he can't simply just, you know, um, return the salutation. This person said shalom, so he'll say, and he won't be able to affect him only by breaking him down to size and by causing an abnegation. And, and therefore he called him Reka, empty one, how ugly you are. To break the material coarseness in which this person was trapped. And therefore, and so therefore, right after Rabbi Lazar addressed him in this way, right after he broke him down, what did this man say? Go tell the, the uh, craftsperson that created me. I knew this means that Rabbi Elazar effectuated an arousal on his part that he should know and that he should recognize that there is a craftsperson that created him, that there is a creator. And Rabbi Elazar effectuated a change in this person he became a discerning person, an understanding person. That feels the craftsperson that made him. This means, this is to say, He was able to recognize, at least he was able to recognize that he was a creation that God created. And more than this, the, the very specific terminology, the craftsperson person that crafted me, and not just calling him a creation, it shows that he actually came to a level that was higher than just being, uh, being a creation of Hashem. He was a person that understood, recognized, and discerned that there was a reason for his creation, just like when a craftsperson fashions a particular vessel, it's fashioned in a particular way to serve a certain purpose. And now the Reb is going to bring another example of the same modality. Vav. And through this, we might be able to understand a story that Hasidim would tell about the Reb Rashab at the very beginning of his Nesios, of his leadership. Yehudi nichnas ala Rebbe Nishmasa Eden Yichidos. There was a Jew that went into the Ebra Hashab in Yechidus. And he asked the Rebbe's bracha for a very important inyan. This Jew needed great mercy for whatever situation he found himself in. It wasn't a slight matter. It wasn't a trifle matter. 
But the Rebbe Rashab answered this Jew that it wasn't possible for him to help him at all. He he didn't he didn't have a way of helping him at all. When this Jew heard this unequivocal answer from his Rebbe, basically that he was shut down, he didn't give him any hope at all. He left the room of the Rebbe and he burst out in a bitter crying. So he's walking and he's crying. So Rebbe Shab's brother, Rebbe Zalman Aaron, met this Jew as he's walking out of his uh, out of the Rebbe's Yechidus room and he's crying bitter tears. And, and when the, the Jew answered Reb Zalman Aaron's question as to why he was crying so bitterly, he answered him, He told him everything that happened. He told him the terrible situation he was in. And he told him the answer that the Rebbe gave him. So Rebbe continues to tell us the Raza entered his brother's room. And the Rebbe reminds us that, as I said before, this was at the very beginning of his Nesiyos. And I think the, what's being telegraphed here is that this is not something that he would have done later, but this was at the very beginning of the Nesiyos. So he had the chutzpah, I guess, to walk into his brother, the Rebbe's room. And he, he berated him, he said, do you think you behaved appropriately? A Jew comes, he asks for your blessing, and you answer him that you can't help him. And, and this man is crying bitterly, copious tears. You, 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 you gave him such tsar. When Rebbe Hashab heard this, he put his, his um, gartel on. And he asked that this Jew should come back into his room. And when the Jew came into his Yechidus room, the Rebbe blessed him. And the Rebbe says, and the bracha came to fruition. And so this Jew was saved from the terrible state that he was in. The Rebbe says, it would seem we have to understand. Why in the first place did the Rebbe Hashab refuse to help this Jew? And he was such a, a sharp refusal, not with a pedestrian, I'm sorry, but, but I can't help you at all. It was such a sharp refusal that it broke this man's heart. The Rebbe says, and let's imagine that let's say the Rebbe Shab can't help this Jew. Whatever it is, the Gezeira, the Rebbe Hashab cannot break it. He can't help him. He could have at least bolstered this man, could have at least given him words of encouragement and, and, and bolstered his faith. Like the Gemara teaches, that even when a sharp sword is lying on your throat, you're about to be killed and beheaded, don't give up from Hashem's mercy. So the Rebbe says, why such a sharp rebuttal on the part of the Rashab? Why such adamant refusal? Zayin. But we might be able to explain it like we explained what happened with the Tana and the, and the ugly man. The Jew, when he had come into the Rebbe Shab's Yechidus room, found himself in a situation, a spiritual state, 
where he was not capable of receiving. He wasn't a, um, a proper vessel for receipt of the huge bracha that he needed. He was in a terrible situation and he needed nothing less than a huge bracha, but he wasn't in a spiritual state where he could be a conduit for that. He wasn't a vessel for that. So that's what, that's the explanation of what the Rebbe told him. I can't help you. I cannot help you. <coughs> but when, however, when he heard the words from the Chetan, it caused him to be broken because of his sorry, bitter state. And this catapulted him into a state of pouring out his heart to Hashem. And he nailed and through his crying out to Hashem, he became a new person. And then he became a vessel for the blessing that he needed from Hashem. And then the Chabad Nishmasa Eden was able to give him the bracha. So this kind of breaking down a person, of embarrassing them with the intention, which is not to arouse and through the arousal to reveal the light of the neshama. And why is it not for that purpose? Because this person we're talking about in this spiritual state, he's not... He, he's not in a state where the light of the neshama can radiate. So this investment of time with a person who's in such a lowly state that his default light of the neshama cannot shine but can only be helped through breaking the wall of coarseness that this person has put up, this avoida, this investment, can also be relevant to Gentiles, to Eino Yehudim. Ulam yesh chiluk bedavar, but there's a difference. When you're talking about a yid, no matter how terrible and dire a spiritual situation, yesh neshama, nefesh alikis. Still in all, this yid has a neshama, he has a godly soul. gam bishas And therefore, even when this person is sinning, even as he sins, he wants to be a Jew and he wants to do all the mitzvahs. And therefore, therefore, this breaking uh, process is only for the external aspect. Because on the inside, on the internal, he's good even before you start breaking him. Umemela, therefore, tachlisa shel shviras hafchumias hiligroim ligilui hapnimius shenemtzeis boikvah. So the point of breaking him down is to effectuate a revelation of his inner landscape that is there already. Masha ein kain eino yehudi. In contradistinction, the Gentile, who does not have the godly soul, the most that this Shvira can do, the most that it's possible for it to effectuate, 
is the potential to be raised and to reach a spiritual level that can be reached by a Gentile. And now the Rebbe circles back to our original question of what did Avram Avinu actually accomplish? And how can you attribute to him the transformation of people who seem to, who seem to be simply saying what he wanted them to say and he wanted to hear, and therefore they could save themselves a huge amount of money. So what, what really happened there? And so through what the Rebbe explained to us is understood also the reason for Avraham Avinu's uh, MO, the way he comport himself. He brought so much pressure to bear on the pastors by that Aiden is in until they says they said blessed be the God of the world of whose food we have eaten because even a benoyach and especially after the purification process of the mabel they too have the ability to recognize that there is an owner of this mansion, this world. And therefore, Avram Avinu engaged in this huge PR blitz for all the passers-by. He brought them closer to recognizing godliness and understanding godliness through the agency of many explanations. So the Rebbe says he taught classes, he gave lectures. But when he saw that there was a demographic, there was a grouping for which all of the explanations were not grasped, they had no influence on them. It fell on dead ears. Because their spiritual coarseness was so great. Greater than your pedestrian Gentile. The Rebbe says, like we already learned in last week's Parsha, we know that, um, that not all Gentiles are created equal. There's a difference between Chum and his brothers. In order to break this um, surplus of, of materiality and coarseness, Therefore, Avram Avinu brought pressure to bear. Aksa, he actually brought them to distress. And through bearing down on this, he was able to affect that his previous explanations, the lecture they had sat through, the class they had attended, should be able to actually sink in to some degree. And as a result, So the Rebbe is saying, no, they weren't just saying these words. They actually came to a level of recognition of godliness but it did take some strong arming. It did take some tough love. It did take some cutting them down to size, as it were. And the Rebbe is now going to give us the lesson, simple lesson, simply speaking. We have a great axiom that everything that happened with the Avais is a sign for us. It's a signpost. It's, it teaches us. We all have to act like Avram Avinu. 
and we have to engage in promulgating godliness in the world. And we have to do it the way Avram Avinu did it. Because it's not just what the fathers did that is a simon for us. It's also the way they did it that we have to learn from. First of all, we cannot be satisfied <coughs> with bringing closed Jews that are already in our house. The Rebbe says, no, uh-uh. You can't engage in, in this uh, modality where you're just looking at the low-hanging fruit. But you have to go into the street. You have to go into the thoroughfare. And you have to find the passers-by. And you have to find a way to impact all the passers-by that are just out in Manhattan doing their business, they're shopping, they're taking in the sites. They are not there waiting for you to bring the tefillin to them. And you have to make these overtures in every possible way. Even if it means that you have to give these passers-by food and drink even if it means you have to make 85 barbecues per semester. Be a serum and even more. And then the Chabbat says very quickly, and sometimes you do have to bring some pressure to beer, but the Chabbat says very quickly, but you know, gentle pressure. And if somebody's going to come and he's going to say, What do you Lubavitchers think you're doing? Well, what are you really effectuating here? Like, what's really the point? This Jew that you, you know, influence, but that's a nice word. You basically force them to make this bracha. Or to say shma, to pray. Whatever, you, you put the film on them. He's not really doing it sincerely. He's not really doing it of his own volition. He's not doing it from his heart. Or his friend who puts film on one time. He's doing it to get rid of the pressure. Nice way of saying he's, he's doing this so you will get lost. So, so he can go do what he really wants to do. And, and, and what's going to be tomorrow? Okay, so you got to fill on him today. What's going to be tomorrow? We don't know. And the Rebbe says there's so many complaints that people level against Mifzaim, so many ways in which people bring criticism of what we're trying to do. And the Rebbe says to all of these complaints, to all of this criticism, to all the naysayers, you have to reply, you have to reply by using this story from the Torah, and Torah is etymologically rooted in the word the whole Torah is, is one book of instruction. So this person who's belittling your efforts, just tell him the story. And by the way, you should underscore that if this was possible in the days of Avram, how much more so it is today. Avram Avinu was dealing with B'nai Noyach. It was before Matan Torah, the whole world was different. The ability for the world to be saturated with spirituality was still not there. If Hashem was able to say that what Avram Avinu did then in a world that was very different, that was impervious to spirituality, that Avram Avinu was able to introduce the people of the world to God, how much more so after Matan Torah, 
And how much more so when you're talking about a Jew? He wants to be a Jew. He wants to do all the mitzvahs. And therefore, there's no way you could say about a Jew, he's just doing it to humor you, or he's just doing it to get rid of you. Because in essence, he wants to do this. It's possible that by putting on film with him one time, you're actually going to turn him around, that this is going to become his revealed desire. It's not just going to be his essential desire. It's going to become his revealed desire. And everybody knows so many stories of people who, you know, first, randomly put on film and little by little it brought them closer in a very revealed way to keeping Torah mitzvahs. Adash mitzvah gereris mitzvah, one mitzvah leads to another, v'yavay l'kiyom kol mitzvahs, and it'll come to keep all the mitzvahs of oif and mushlam and in a complete way. V'avoy dazu, pirsum shmoi shal kadosh baruch hu ba'olem ba'if and shal hikarta oisi bivriyosai. And this avoyda of promulgating the name of Hashem in the world in a way which introduces Hashem to his creations, to maher b'mida k'neged mida, should hasten in, in a way that, that is reflective as kiyum hayyud, the um, fulfillment of the promise, ki mola that the world will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem, al and how will the world be flooded with the knowledge of Hashem through the agency of Yamoid Melech mi David? A king will arise from the house of David, obviously Mashiach, the Yaakov Kol Yisrael. The Rebbe underscores that term. He will force all of B'nai Yisrael, Lelechba, to walk in that way, Olechazik uh, Bitka. Literally, this means to fix where there was a crack in the foundation, but it means to strengthen the Torah Shebechtab and the Torah Shebaal Peh, the written Torah and the oral Torah, through and with the true, the true Geula and the complete Geula through Mashiach Tzikenu, may it be now Mamash. Um, we're going to just now have a word from Joni, and um, also, Joni, if you don't mind, if you'll also be able to speak in whatever you're saying now into the um, chat, because at least one person wrote that she had to bounce because she had a class she has to give, but she wants to know what is being said. So over to Joni in Montreal. <laughs> Hi. Um, we've been trying for a while to get this class together. <clears throat> it's just a very unique class, as everybody on it knows. And it seems that the best time will be when everybody's at the kinnis. Um, Rifki found out that the kinnis ends Monday at noon. So we are taking a poll and asking everyone, um, whoever's going to be there, what's better for you? It's to meet like right after the kinnis, like one o'clock, because you have to, you know, go home. Or, which is my preference, and I'm sure many other people's, but it may just physically not work out to meet that night. Um, we're trying, we're going to try to get the Shluchim office to give.